The Bible reading today is taken from Deuteronomy. It's chapter 18, and it's to be found in the Bibles, just underneath the chair in front of you, and it is page 194. So verse 14, under the heading of the prophet... Now, this is Moses speaking to the Israelites, and he's speaking to them as they are about to reach and enter the, um, the, what they called as the pro- um, promised land, and which we know as Canaanite. So, he is speaking to the Israelite nation, and telling them what he has from the word of God. And he says, The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the day of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire any more, or we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything that I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. Uh, thanks, Glennis, and uh, hello again. If you could keep your Bibles open to um, Deuteronomy 18, that would be super helpful to me. I'm going to pray, and then we shall get down to business. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us in your word. Give us ears to hear that we might see the Lord Jesus more clearly so that we can follow him with all our hearts. We pray this in his name. Amen. There's a genre of films called the Spaghetti Western. Anyone heard of that, Spaghetti Western? Yeah. Very popular in the 1960s. Side note, I wasn't born in the 1960s, okay? I didn't grow up with them, but I do know about Spaghetti Westerns, and they were called Spaghetti Westerns because it was Italian filmmakers' take on the cowboy and Indian films that were very typical of Hollywood in that era. Uh, They usually featured... I mean, sorry, I should say Spaghetti Westerns weren't actually about cowboys and Indians. Instead, they usually featured a, a lone hero, who stumbled into a lawless town where normal people were terrified 
A normal life just didn't exist. And he used his wits and his cunning and his exceptional skills with the pistol to bring relief to the terrorised people of the town and to bring justice to the outlaw gangs, usually at great expense to himself. He suffered greatly along the way, but unmistakably, he's the hero at the end of the day. Now, even if you weren't born in the 1960s, you would have seen a scene of a film that looks something like this. When the hero came to town for the first time, usually it took place in the saloon or in the bar. Someone was playing a, a rickety old piano. Some cowpokes might have been playing cards. There'd be a few drunks asleep on the table, maybe a lady in makeup carousing with the men of the town. And then a tumbleweed would blow down the main street of the town. And the sky would go dark as the shadow of the hero loomed large in front of the saloon doors. And as he pushes the saloon doors open, the piano music stops. One of the cowpokes unclips his pistol from the holster in readiness. The barman looks up knowingly from underneath the brim of his hat as he carefully wipes down the bar for the millionth time that day. And the hero very slowly and deliberately and purposely, and actually just a little bit slower than is really necessary, walks towards the bar and the barman. And to find out what he says, you're going to have to watch a Spaghetti Western for yourself. Now, you might think to yourself, actually, that sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Uh, the new man in town, the solitary hero who brings a change, who brings relief, who brings justice, liberation, but essentially out of the blue. The only warning being something akin to the tumbleweed blowing down the street, uh, the sky darkening the piano music stopping abruptly. He just sort of appears at the start of the New Testament with little explanation and little preparation, so we often think, but not so. After our inspiring time uh, looking at revival in the Burning Heart series, and thanks to everybody who just shared, today we start a new series in the lead up to Christmas, which will focus on Jesus, who is the very epicenter of any revival. The series is called Greater, and the purpose of the series is not just to see kind of more closely who Jesus is, to see who the baby born on Christmas Day grew up to be. It's actually to understand his backstory. And I don't just mean the prophecies that, that predicted his coming, but more to see how he fulfilled very prominent types or templates or molds that exist in the Old Testament. Like, how is Jesus a better priest? How is he a better judge? How is he a greater king or a greater human than those in the Old Testament? And today we're going to make a start by looking at how Jesus is a greater prophet and what that means for us all these year, years later. And so I want you to imagine that you're back in the Wild West, back in that saloon when the hero walks in. I want to ask you the question, who are you going to be like? Are you going to be like the drunk guys asleep at the table? Or you're going to be uh, maybe the piano player that's distracted by all that's going on? Or will you actually be more like the bartender, carefully listening in, despite all the noise around you? I'm glad he did that on cue, you know. It wasn't easy to line that up. Actually, firstly, what you've got to do is you, you need to listen carefully enough, though, you know. You've got to listen carefully to the Old Testament. Because uh, the Old Testament had a very clear expectation that the prophet was coming. The Old Testament stated that the prophet, 
All right, seriously, I'm not giving a tip or anything now. <laughs> the prophet was on his way. Now, I want us to, to tune in very carefully to Moses speaking to the people of God in Deuteronomy chapter 18 on the very brink of the promised land, as Glennis just read to us. Let's look from verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, Ten Commandments, on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we'll die. And the Lord said to me, that's Moses, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. And he will tell them everything I command him, and I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. Now, did you get what he was saying? Deuteronomy chapter 18 says, A great prophet is coming. And it's probably worth saying that in the Bible, a prophet is not primarily somebody who predicts kind of future events. More often, they're calling people back to God and his ways than talking about the future. But what all prophets have in common is they speak a message from God and they're conscious of that. They're not just saying wise words, not like Master Yoda. They're bringing a message from God to the people of God or to people in general. So what was this great prophet, the prophet anticipated by Moses? What was he going to be like? Well, as it turns out, the first thing that he's going to be like is he's actually going to be just like Moses. In verse 15, have a look. God will raise up a prophet like Moses. The greatest prophet in the whole Old Testament. I, I know what we think. We think uh, Moses is sort of like a, um, uh, uh, maybe a scout leader or an eco-tourism coordinator, you know, bush bashing his way with the Israelites through the surprisingly unbushy regions between Egypt and the edge of the Promised Land. He was, in fact, the preeminent. I mean, he was the greatest, the absolute top dog prophet who brought God's words to the people and the prophet to come verse 15 and verse 18 will be a prophet like Moses one of the greats secondly he'll be from among his people again have a look verse 15 verse 18 God will raise up a prophet like Moses from among his fellow Israelites from among his fellow people and if the job of the prophet is to speak God's message to God's people it very much helps if the prophet comes from among his own people uh, if you think about it, that's why we're so enthusiastic about supporting the ministry of someone like Neville Naden, the proud Indigenous man ministering to other Indigenous people. You see, he's been raised up from among his own people, bringing God's word to those people. Well, this great prophet anticipated in the Old Testament would be raised by God from among his own countrymen and women. And thirdly, God will put his words in his mouth. This great prophet will speak God's words for God. And in fact, that's what all of the legitimate prophets in the Old Testament did. Uh, on at least 350 occasions in the Old Testament, you hear the prophet saying, Thus says the Lord. Thus declares the Lord. This is the decree of God. Meaning that what they have said wasn't just a good idea they come up with on the spur of the moment. It comes directly from God. Well, this great prophet would be exactly like that. 
And as you read through the pages of the Gospels at the start of the New Testament, you find that this expectation of the great prophet to come was alive and well. You might remember John chapter 1 when John the Baptist bursts onto the scene. Everyone thought he was the Christ or the Messiah. Uh, In John chapter 1, it tells us that he openly told them he was not the Christ or the Messiah. But they kept bugging him. Let's have a look at verse 21. They asked, uh, are you the Christ? No, I'm not the Christ. Oh, are you Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah. Still in verse 21, are you then the prophet? In other words, are you the one that that Moses told our ancestors about in Deuteronomy 18? No, I'm not the prophet. (laughs) Sorry. A few chapters later in John chapter 6, Jesus fed 5,000 people, famous story. And uh, it reminds us that after people saw the sign that he performed, they began to say, Surely this Jesus is the prophet who is to come into the world. Do you get what it's saying? First sign of Jesus' appearance is not the tumbleweed blowing down, not the piano music stopping abruptly. You can clearly see the expectation that God would send a great prophet from among his brothers and that it was alive and well at the start of our New Testament. So if that's true, the second thing that is our task for this morning is to work out how and why Jesus fulfills this lively expectation of the coming of a great prophet because he does, in fact, do just that. And you see it whenever Jesus speaks, don't you? Because people are amazed at his words. You can detect it whenever Jesus says, I tell you the truth which he does on nearly 150 occasions in the New Testament. Now, did you notice Jesus doesn't say, thus says the Lord, thus declares the Lord, this is the decree of God. He says, I tell you, because he himself is the Lord. And you can see it clearly that Jesus fulfills this Old Testament expectation of the coming of a great prophet in a place like Luke 4, which Nathan's going to look at in more detail next week, but also in the parallel passage in Matthew 13. I'd love you to turn open to Matthew 13. It's on page uh, 980 uh, if you're using a paper Bible, if you're using a phone. Matthew 13, page 980. In that chapter, in that passage, and in the parallel passage in Luke, Jesus is in his hometown. He's teaching with wisdom and authority. Have a look at verse 54, where he's, I guess, his local tribe, his local people, his, his order. Like, where, where did he come by this Wisdom and power, verse 54. It's intriguing to them. But by the time you get down to verse 57, it had become offensive because this local boy sounds like the great prophet. This, of course, is the face of uh, Jennifer Hawkins, who also has happened to be the face of the Meyer department store, Range Rover, Mount Franklin Sparkling Water and Colgate. She's got her own line of skincare products. You, she's done pretty well, you'd have to say, wouldn't you? But uh, I don't know if you remember, she really shot to stardom after being crowned Miss Universe in 2004, really out of nowhere, or out of Newcastle, as it turns out. Some of you are thinking it's the same thing, aren't you? 
it, it's okay to have a crack at Newcastle if you're here, because people that are here have left Newcastle, you see? If they loved it so much, they wouldn't have left. Anyway, she came from Newcastle, but out of nowhere, and so everybody wanted to know, who, who is this person? Who is this woman? You know, TV shows would run stories on how Jennifer Hawkins went from being girl next door, ex-Newcastle Knights cheerleader, to being Miss Universe. So they interviewed a grandmother, they interviewed a primary school teacher, they interviewed one of the um, Newcastle Knights cheerleaders, then they interviewed her boyfriend. He looked pretty nervous because he was thinking to himself, I'm going to lose her now that she's Miss Universe. But the whole general vibe of the stories were, isn't this so nice? Our Jennifer... Girl next door, Miss Universe. But the vibe was totally, we just can't take her too seriously. Well, that was a mistake, wasn't it? To underestimate her. And that's pretty much the reaction that people gave to Jesus just at the very moment that he appeared to them as the great prophet anticipated in places like Deuteronomy. I mean, have a look, chapter, Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. Isn't this nice? It's Joseph's son, isn't it? Little carpenter Jesus with a little hard hat on, his little tool belt, lunchbox. Nice chap. He must have been doing some extra study online, do you think? Hey, Doris, do you remember that time when he was little that he got lost? Well, not lost, but his parents had lost him and he was in the temple of the whole. You remember that? He's from among his own people, as Moses said he would be, but they dismiss entirely who he plainly appears to be, that he, Joseph's boy, is so much more than the carpenter's son, so much more than Mary's wee lad, that he is in fact the great prophet. You look at Matthew 13, verse 57, he goes on the front foot after they've taken offense at him, underestimating him mistakenly, and he says, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town and in his own home. And the text of verse 58 says that he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Over in Luke 4, they even tried to kill him. Just as the people of Israel did to all the prophets in the Old Testament, they tried to kill Jesus. Man, Newcastle would never do that to Jennifer. Is Jesus the prophet anticipated in the Old Testament? I mean, he clearly sees himself as the fulfillment of that expectation of Scripture. He talks like a prophet, I tell you the truth. He specifically calls himself a prophet there in verse 57. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. He's from his own people, but he gets the exact same treatment as all the prophets in the Old Testament. He's nothing less than the great prophet anticipated in Deuteronomy. He's like Moses. He's from his own people. He speaks the very words of God. I tell you the truth because he is God. He is the spirit-filled prophet who speaks with wisdom and power. But instead of listening to him, like Deuteronomy says, you must, they try to kill him here and they eventually succeed later on in Jerusalem. So friends, I think what we need to do is to work out what this means for us today. If Jesus is the fulfillment of this expectation of the great prophet who speaks the very words of God, what difference is that going to make? Expected from long ago, raised up by God, sent to earth to be among us and then to speak to us. It seems to me that we really ought to listen very carefully, neither ignoring him, nor dismissing his words. Now, if you were to go all the way back to Deuteronomy, 
page 194, whatever it is on your phone. Hope your battery is still working. What does Moses say about the prophet who was to come? Verses 15, verses 19. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to him. Verse 19, where God says, If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call them to account. Must listen to Jesus. Some of us, and it's certainly potential for me, have grown up in church. We have heard Jesus speak through the scriptures for years and years and years, and we have hardly ever listened. Or perhaps we once listened intently like the bartender in the Spaghetti Western, but for many years now, it's, it's as if we've been playing cards, you know? Or we've been banging around on the piano in the saloon when he's been talking, and we've heard, but we've been distracted because there's so much else that's going on in our lives in the world. But because he's the great prophet, we must listen to him. Let's listen to some of his words just now. I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I tell you, do not worry about your life. Isn't that a soothing word in our age of anxiety? I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? I tell you, people will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. I tell you, Unless you change and become like little children, like those two little boys that were baptized here this morning, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, it is hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear all that? I reckon they're just the ones that apply primarily to me, man. Recently met a, uh, a gentleman. He's become a Christian from a Muslim background. Loveliest man you could ever meet. And he was telling me that when it comes to speaking to Muslims about the Christian faith, don't assume they hate Jesus. He said, we already love and respect Jesus. He said, just tell them to read the red letter words. That is the speech of Jesus in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, which are often printed in red. He goes... Don't think Muslims hate Jesus. They, they already love and respect him. Just let them read for themselves what Jesus said. It's going to do the work for you. It's very interesting, isn't it? And uh, helpful to me personally. But for those of us who are already Christians, we actually need to go a step further. And we need to treat all the words of the New Testament as red-letter words. If you were to go to Acts chapter 1, verse 1, page 10,090... If you were going to go there, the author, Luke, says in his first volume, the Gospel of Luke, it was about what Jesus began to do and teach before he was taken up to heaven. 
And what he really means is that his second volume, the book of Acts, and actually by extension the rest of the New Testament, was what Jesus continued to do and to teach by giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. That is because Jesus is the great prophet. His words are not just the words he literally spoke in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the so-called red-letter words. His words include the words before his time which anticipated his coming, as well as all those words in the rest of the New Testament which explain all that he has done for us. They're all red-letter words. But I think that we are too often tempted to say, look, Jesus didn't mean that. He really meant something else. I know it says that, but I think what he meant was dot, dot, dot. And friends, that's really just another way of not listening to him, isn't it? I'm not saying we're meant to read all his words literalistically. You know there's a bit where, which says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Like I don't think he's literally telling us to scoop out our eyes, but he is asking us to take radical steps, perhaps radical surgery, spiritual surgery, to avoid lust and things of that nature in our lives. But what he's not saying is don't worry about it. Don't take it seriously. Do nothing. I guarantee you that's not what he means. So I've got a couple of ways that perhaps we can um, get back into the habit of listening carefully to Jesus here at St. Matthew's. Some of our uh, ladies have been following a New Testament uh, Bible reading plan that was put together by Kelsey. In my own household, actually, benefited from that. I've come downstairs to hear the dulcet tones of an American gentleman speaking sonorously to my wife over breakfast. I was alarmed, I must say, until I realised she had her Bible app open on audio and she was listening to the words of the New Testament being read over tea and wheat bix She shouldn't be the only one that gets to benefit from that, right? I'd love all of us to have a chance to do that. So we've, um, we've put together an Advent reading plan. It's going to pop, pop up on the St. Matthew's Facebook uh, page or feed or whatever it is. And on Instagram, for those who are cooler than the Facebook crowd, it's going to happen every weekday from 6am until the day before Christmas Eve. Or you can download it from the resources page on the St. Matthews website. Or if you're really old school, I love you. I love you so much, I printed them off. They look like this. They're at the back table there. It's only because I love you. What a great thing to do, to read in the lead up to Christmas. You know, fathers, why wouldn't you read those passages to your kids at bedtime? Don't always leave it to the mums. You do it this time around. Or however you want to do it. It'll help you listen to him in a noisy season. That's one way. Second way I think that we can do it is that we, we often assume that listening to Jesus carefully means private devotions, you know, in the morning. But, you know, listening to him is at the absolute core to our growth groups, our small groups, as we figure out what, what Jesus' words mean to us practically some 21 centuries later. I think it should be harder for us to dismiss Jesus' words if we're reading them with other people. So maybe if your heart has been warmed by burning hearts, the next step is to join a growth group uh, in the new year. Maybe you just want to jot that down on the Connect card and uh, put it in the bag. Maybe it's to start leading one if you've benefited from being one in one for many uh, years already. You can put that down on a Connect card as well. 
But friends, if we listen to Jesus, our great prophet, we will discover there are sins to be repented of. So repent of them. We listen to him, we discover there are warnings to heed. So heed them. We listen to him, we discover there are instructions to follow. So follow them. We listen to him, we discover there are blessings to claim, and there are promises to cling to. So claim them and cling to them. And there were words of hope and grace and forgiveness and love to take into the wellsprings of your heart. So take them into the wellsprings of your heart. But you cannot do any of that if you don't listen to him carefully. Moses was great. I mean, a giant, the preeminent prophet of the whole Old Testament. But friends, Jesus is greater. The greater prophet promised from long ago, raised up by God, like Moses, from among his people, speaking God's word to us. And heaven cannot help us if we fail to listen to him. Let's pray together. Just going to give you a moment of time to prepare your own heart. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for sending Jesus to fulfill this mold, this type, this template of the great prophet anticipated so long ago. And forgive us for the times where we have just been stupid or perhaps distracted in our own weakness. Or even worse, maybe we've been proud thinking we have heard it all before and we know it all already. So help us to very carefully and to humbly listen to him that we might love him with all of our hearts and follow him with all of our soul and strength. And we pray this for his glory. Amen.